Well, good morning. As you uh, as we begin this morning, will you just take your copy of Scripture or your uh, uh, Bible app on your phone, and would you go to Romans chapter 12? Uh, while you're turning there, a couple of things. We're excited uh, about uh, First Norfolk on Volvo. Uh, on First Norfolk on Volvo, uh, in a couple of weeks, we're celebrating our one-year anniversary. And uh, so, church family, let's celebrate First Norfolk on Volvo. And we're going to have a great time uh, February the 3rd for a, a celebration there uh, at, uh, at the 11 o'clock hour. It's going to be a great time and excited about what God has done and continues to do uh, with our church on Volvo. Now, the second thing I'd share with you is we pray together as a church family at 1 o'clock for one minute every day. And this week, I want to encourage you to join me and uh, hundreds of others in praying for one minute at one o'clock, um, set your uh, your alarm, your notification, your uh, write down a note, a sticky note, put it wherever you're going to be at one o'clock to remind you to pray for this one thing. It's the same thing we've been praying since the beginning of January. Pray that God would show you the one person in 2019 that He would use you to lead to know Jesus and to walk in fellowship with Jesus. Uh, there is perhaps, since you've been praying this for the last couple of weeks, three weeks, uh, perhaps God has placed upon your heart the name of that person. Maybe you know exactly who it is, whether it's a coworker, a family member, a friend, a neighbor, uh, someone that uh, serves you coffee each day, uh, someone in your life, someone that you know by name. Pray for them by name. Begin now praying for them and pray, oh God, give me the opportunity to uh, invite them to join me at church, to uh, to join me for a life group, to join me uh, for an event that we're having, whether it is a party at the church or through the church or a fellowship with uh, my life group or to my life group. God, just give me an opportunity to, to, to open the door of relationship with them and with those at the church and pray that God would give you the opportunity to share the good news of his rescuing love with them. So uh, let's pray for that one person. Maybe you don't have the name of that one person uh, yet. Pray, oh God, show me the, the person that you would have me uh, to spend these next 12 months working with them, praying for them, helping them uh, to meet Jesus and to have their life transformed by his grace forever. So that is our one thing. Uh, well, today we're continuing this journey uh, through uh, scripture looking at the church um, and the beauty of the church. We looked beginning in Ephesians chapter 5 uh, where uh, Paul the apostle writes this letter to the believers in Ephesus and compares the church uh, to a bride with Jesus as the groom. Jesus is the groom, the church is the bride. And if you remember, uh, Paul writes that Jesus gave himself for the church out of love, sacrificing himself so that there might be a church. Without Jesus, there is no church, right? Uh, Jesus is the one who died for sinners, uh, paved a way for sinners to have friendship and fellowship with God, and by his Spirit calls us together, creates us as the church, uh, birthed out of his love, made beautiful by his love. So in Ephesians 5, Paul says that Jesus sanctified, created the church, sanctified the church by the washing of the water and by the word, talking about how we've been made new creations in Christ 
and how we are growing up as followers of Christ through the church. And then the reason he sanctified us through the washing of the water by the word is so that he might present to himself a beautiful church or a beautiful bride so that we, the church, might be beautiful. This is our reality. First Norfolk, our church is beautiful because Jesus in his love has made us beautiful. In fact, it goes on, it says that he might present to himself a glorious church, a beautiful church, glorious equal beautiful, a glorious church not having any spot or blemish or wrinkle. Well, here's the problem, though. We know that there is, looking around, uh, knowing the, the life of our church, there is spot and wrinkle and blemish. Okay? That, that's who we are. We know that, that we have been sanctified by Jesus. He has rescued us, and he has made us beautiful. He has sanctified us through the washing of the water by the word so that he might present to himself a beautiful church. We are beautiful, but we still have blemish. And our job from here to heaven as a church is to shrink the distance between the beauty and the blemish. And we've been on this journey. How do we discover the beauty? Well, we've been made beautiful by Jesus, but how do we live in that beauty or display that beauty? How do we shrink the distance between the beauty that Jesus has made us and the blemish that we see so readily around us in our lives and uh, in our church? Well, last week we looked at the end of chapter 4 of Ephesians and the first two verses of chapter 5, and we, we looked at how that the church displays the beauty that God has given her uh, through our love for one another and others. Uh, we display that beauty. We shrink the distance between our beauty and our blemish when we give ourselves to love others the way Jesus has loved us. So here we have Ephesians 4.32. How do we love in a way that shrinks the gap between our beauty and our blemish? Ephesians 4.32. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, just as God in Christ also forgave you. And chapter 5, verse 1. And be imitators of God as dearly loved children. And live a life of love, just as Christ also loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and a sacrifice to God. So here's our path. We need to be kind, we need to be compassionate, and we need to forgive. We need to be imitators of God because we are the recipients of his love. All right? When we love others the way Jesus has loved us, we shrink the gap between the beauty that we have been made uh, with and the blemish. This week, we're looking at another instrument that God gives the church to shrink the gap between our beauty and our blemish, and that is worship, uh, the beauty of worship. Uh, in, in Romans chapter 12, I want you to look at verse 1 with me. Now, you need to keep your copy of Scripture open, your app open, because we're going to be dealing with uh, each verse, one to eight, we're going to be dealing with them, uh, and, and I want you to be able to, uh, to, to catch up, keep up. Uh, and if my translation or what I'm saying doesn't match what's in your translation, know that some of it is just uh, uh, from uh, a mishmash of different versions. Uh, some of it's Greek, some of it's uh, NIV, some of it's 
uh, New King James, some of it's Old King James, and some of it's New American uh, Standard Version. So uh, I, I kind of, uh, these two verses, these three or four or five verses, I'm going to mash up different translations, uh, mostly from the Greek. All right, so as we're looking at the beauty of worship, uh, I want us to see what Paul is talking about. Romans 12, when I got to do this, okay, so y'all with me? Everybody, everybody okay? Everybody with me? Romans chapter 12, verse 1. Before I tell you uh, about verse 1, let me tell you about chapters 1 through 11, okay? Don't panic. I can do it really quick. Sure, he says. All right, all right. chapters 1 through 8 is Paul laying the foundation of the church. He says in, verses, in chapters 1 through 8, he says, you were separated from God by your sin. Well, we knew that, but sometimes we needed to be reminded. We were separated from God by our sin, uh, and, and the penalty for that sin and that separation is death. It, it, it is a punishment that we cannot pay and survive, right? That is what our sin deserves. We're separated from God by our sin, and the judgment for that is death. And all of us are under that judgment the, the, for, for, for we have all sinned and we all fall short of the glory of God. That is our problem. Uh, <clears throat> what Paul then does is he shows us how that Jesus is the answer to our problem. And we see this in Romans chapter 5. Uh, even though we're sinners and ungodly, even though we're separated from God by our sin, God loved us in such a way that he would send Jesus to die for us who are sinners, provide forgiveness for our sin through his death on the cross, and bring uh, uh, the hope of a resurrection life here and in the future because of his love. And we see this in Romans 5. We see the new life in Romans 6. Uh, in Romans 8, we see the results uh, that there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, who are walking not according to the flesh but according to the Spirit. That, that we are no longer under the condemnation of our guilt, but now we have been made alive with Christ and, and we have been set free so that we can walk in the Spirit in unity with living God and, and not uh, disconnected from Him. Chapters 9 through 11, Paul says, I really want uh, the children of Israel, the, uh, those who are culturally and ethnically Jewish people, uh, his tribe of people, he said, I really want them to come to know Jesus as Lord and Savior. And then it comes to chapter 12. Now, chapter 12 is the turning point. And Paul has outlined all this great, deep doctrine and theology. But we need to understand, doctrine and theology are nice, but they're useless unless they're applied to our everyday life. Some of us have been living on a lot of information, a lot of instruction, but we have absolutely zero application, and we wonder why it is that our spiritual life is so dull, drab, and disappointing. It's because you've got a lot of information, but you're doing zero with it. And can I just tell you that preachers are the worst about this? Because we, we amass all this information and we think we're really spiritual, but we never get to Romans chapter 12, verse 1. Now Paul says, hey, listen, I've given you all this stuff. Now, Romans 12, 1. Therefore, I beseech you, dear brothers and sisters, based upon the mercies of God, based upon everything I've told you in one through, chapters 1 through 8, 
based upon the mercies of God, based upon that you were separated from God by your sin, but God in his love sent Jesus uh, to, to, to die for your sin and to give you new life, and now you are, are no longer under condemnation, but that you can live each day in intimacy with the living God, being led by the Spirit of God, based upon all the mercies of God, I beg you, present yourselves, your bodies, as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable, which is your reasonable service of worship. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, verse 1, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present yourselves a living sacrifice, which is your reasonable service of worship. In verse 1, there, is, there are a couple of synonyms. Y'all know a synonym. It's saying the same thing with different words. Well, if you look at the very last phrase of, of verse 1, it says your service of worship or your reasonable service of worship or your reasonable or spiritual worship or your reasonable service of spiritual worship. It just depends on your translation. But in the, in the Greek language, it is your reasonable, logical, uh, reasonable service of worship. The, the term there, service, in some translations, or as I'm translating, service of worship, the word there is the word that we get, liturgy. Y'all know liturgy, liturgical. Some of y'all come from uh, more mainline or Catholic backgrounds. You know liturgy. Liturgy is a form of worship. It's a pattern for worship. Liturgy means worship. When Paul says that, that I want you to present your bodies as living sacrifices, he was saying this is what worship is. He said, this is worship, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice. So as we look at this passage, what I want us to see, the big idea is simple. We display the beauty of the church through worship. But that worship is defined as Paul describes it here. That worship is not confined or constrained to an hour on the clock or a day on the calendar. See, that's how many of us have defined worship. We, uh, y'all are worshiping here. Y'all come at 11 o'clock. Some of you came at 11.10. Some of you came at 11.30. I'm thankful for all of you being here. But you began your worship here at this time. You defined, yes, have you worshiped? Yes, I worship today. How did you worship? Where did you worship? Well, I worshiped First Norfolk on Kempsville, First Norfolk, First Norfolk on Volvo, uh, and it happened at 11 o'clock or thereabouts. And I would say, yes. That's part of it. This is part of worship. But this is not the defining ingredient of worship. Some of us define worship by a day on a calendar. On January the 20th at 11 o'clock, I worship God. Okay? That may be true, but that is not the primary definition of worship. It's not an event on a calendar or a time on a clock. Some of us define worship by a song that is sung. There have been songs that have been sung today, and they have been wonderful expressions of worship. But if you or I define worship by a song, we are not even coming close to worship. Some of us define worship by a sermon. Very few. But there are still some that define worship by a sermon. And I would say, yeah, that should be part of the worship, but that is not the defining ingredient of worship. As Paul describes worship, and it should influence the event on the calendar, the time on the clock, the song that is sung, and the sermon that is preached. 
But as Paul defines worship, he defines it as presenting your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable, which is your reasonable service of worship. The synonyms are worship and present your bodies, a living sacrifice. So as we look at this, what we need to understand is worship is not a point, merely a point in time. Worship is not merely, oh, so is to find worship as a personal emotional experience that we have in the quietness of our own room as we spent time praying with God and we say that's worship and I would say yes, that is worship and that is beautiful worship and you should do more of that worship but that is not the essence or the sum of what worship is. What is worship? Well, I've done something today. I've actually defined it. It's going to be up on, on the screen because I want you to understand what worship is. As Paul defines it here in chapter 12, verse 1, worship is a lifestyle of service to God through the church for God's glory. That is worship. Now, I want you to understand the full measure of that definition. It includes a point in time in a calendar. Or, uh, uh, it, it includes a, a, a point in time on a clock. It includes a sermon. It includes a song. It includes a personal, emotional, uh, spiritual uplift that I have in my own personal, private prayer closet. All of those things are included in worship, but worship is bigger than all those things. Worship, as the Bible defines it, worship, as Paul describes it, is a lifestyle of service to God through the church for God's glory. Okay? Now that needs to sink into the DNA of this body of believers called First Norfolk. This needs to sink into who I am and who we are. You know, worship is more than just gathering at 11 o'clock or thereabouts. Worship is a lifestyle of service. Presenting your body as a living sacrifice. That's worship. Boom. Wow. What does that mean? It means that there is no part of me that doesn't belong to God and is not conscripted into service for God. Present your bodies a living sacrifice, uh, not confined to some dead ritual or liturgical kind of code language that we have in the church, but rather it's living. It's I'm laying myself up on the altar every day, 24-7. I'm living. That's worship. Worship is living, not dead. Worship is present and future as well as informed from the past. Uh, worship is 24-7. Every second of every day, even this moment right now, we worship something or someone. Most of us, if it's not God, it's ourselves. But who are you worshiping today? All right, so worship is a lifestyle. It's, it's a living sacrifice. It is a holy sacrifice. Now, again, th we're trying to shrink the distance between the blemish and the beauty, and we know that there is blemish in our lives and blemish in this church. But when Paul talks about worship, he says it should come from a holy heart. Now, a holy heart is one that's been set apart for special service. Certainly, there is purity constrained there, and we need to understand that when I sin or when you sin, we need to understand there needs to be an immediate action that takes place. 
We, we get into trouble and we don't have worship if we allow sin to sit and fester without confessing that sin and repenting that sin and coming clean to God and those involved about that sin so that we have a heart that is pure. But holy here in verse 1, I mean, this is just verse 1. I haven't even gotten to uh, the other seven verses yet. But here, holy, I haven't even gotten to point one yet. Aren't y'all excited? Holy here is being set apart for God's purposes. We uh, have worship that displays the beauty of the church when we are holy unto the Lord. When we have been set apart, understand that the very essence of my life, my being, my activity, my here, my there, my everywhere, is all about being set apart for service to a holy God where I live for Him. I'm a living sacrifice holy unto the Lord. Set apart for his service, for his purpose. Look, you are not a banker. You're not a homemaker. You're not a nurse or a physician or a sailor. You are a living sacrifice set apart by God for service. That's who you are. Changes the way we look at our jobs or the places that we go or the things that we do and say. You are someone that has been set apart. We, the church, are a holy sacrifice set apart for special service. And we are a well-pleasing sacrifice. Now, worship isn't worship unless God's pleasure is our ambition. Need to say that because what we have done is we've transformed worship into an entertainment zone for my personal pleasure. And if you don't play the playlist that I like and the preacher doesn't preach the song, uh, sermon the way I like, then I, I rank it on Yelp as a two. We've turned something that should be displaying our beauty into something that is so ugh. Worship is not for your pleasure or mine. Make no mistake. We are 24 hours a day, seven days a week, to present ourselves to God as a living sacrifice, holy, set apart for his special service, and well-pleasing to him. Our worship, our service is useless unless unless our ambition is God's pleasure. Our worship, our service is useless unless our ambition is God's pleasure. And some of you, some of us, all of us at different times, let me just kind of wrap us all up into this little hit. All of us at different times, uh, we say, oh, that worship is beautiful based upon what makes me feel like it's beautiful. Usually dealing with what I like going into my ear uh, or into my senses. Friends, God has a different parameter, a different measuring tool for worship. He says, worship is only worship, and it's only beautiful when the worshipers are giving themselves in service to me for my pleasure. Guys, it doesn't matter how well the preacher preaches or how well the soloist sings. It doesn't matter how beautiful the tones or, the, or, 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 or how well-formed the rhetoric. If it's not for God's pleasure, it's worthless. It's nothing more than a presentation or a performance. 
The beauty of the church is not displayed by nice-sounding singers and well-flourishing, well-spoken communicators. The beauty of the church is displayed by the worship of the believers, gathered together, scattered together, living sacrificially every single day in service to God for His pleasure, for His glory. We do it through the church. All right, so, so how, do we, how do we get there? That's, that is a lofty goal for us because, again, if we look around and we even look in our heart, we see that there is a big gap between the beauty that is described in verse 1 and the blemish uh, that we have. We want to shrink that gap so that the blemish is decreased, the blemish is diminished, and the beauty is expanded. All right, so how do we expand the beauty as a church and diminish the blemish? The first thing we see is in verse 2, and that is we need to think differently and live differently. Paul writes in verse 2, And be not conformed any longer to the mold of this world, but be... Tra-. By the way, don't be conformed any longer to the mold of this world. You won't find that in your translation unless you have J.B. Phillips' translation. J.B. Phillips was before the Good News Bible or the Living Translation or the New Living Translation. J.B. Phillips got this one right. I mean, right on target. Don't be conformed any longer to the mold of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you might prove that which is the good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Let me just kind of hit this one pretty quickly, although I think it's so foundational for worship. Worship is beautiful when we are no longer conformed and we are being transformed. Now, both of those are continuous action imperatives. That means that this is an ongoing battle and struggle that we have. Maybe you feel it sometimes. Conformity to the mold of this world, to think the way the world thinks so that we do what the world does. But that's what we're not supposed to do. Worship can only happen when we are being transformed. And what does that transformation look like? Well, it happens because the Spirit of God renews the way we think. There's an old adage that belief precedes behavior. That's that's kind of a truism, and it's spot on. Belief precedes behavior. If I believe something, then I'm going to act in a way that is in concert with that belief. Okay. If I believe that you are a jerk to me, then chances are when you come walking up, my behavior is going to reflect my belief, and I'm going to distance myself from you. Now, if some of y'all feel like I've distanced myself from you, it's not true. (laughs) Belief precedes behavior. Y'all know what I'm talking about? Yeah? Y'all are looking at the clock. I know what you're doing. How's he going to do this? How's he going to do this? How's he going to do this? Be at peace. It'll be okay. All right, so so belief precedes behavior. Uh, That's what Paul is getting us to. He said we need a new way of thinking, renewing your mind. So that we have a new way of living, transformed, not conformed. So how do we get this renewed mind? It is an everyday journey with the Word of God, listening to the Spirit of God, adjusting our lives to fit what the Word by the Spirit teaches us every day. That's why this journal that that we're looking at is going to be so important. And you don't have to do this journal. You don't have to, but it will help give you a discipline through several uh, couple of months of, of us going through the Bible together, preparing our hearts for what happens, that event on the calendar when we worship corporately at 11 o'clock or so, 
This prepares us for that moment so that worship is no longer just a point in time or, or, or an engagement uh, with a clock. It is actually ongoing, allowing the Spirit of God to change the way I see myself and the world around me based upon God's Word. The Spirit of God breathed out God's Word and continues to apply God's Word. So if we want to have a new way of thinking, we need to adjust and submit ourselves to God's Word. Have you... Read God's word every day so that his word tells you what to think and how to live. It's not going to happen. You will continue to be conformed to the mold of this world until you allow the spirit of God to renew your mind. It's putting on the new man. It's being a new creation. It's shrinking the, 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 the distance between the blemish and the beauty. It's diminishing the blemish, magnifying the beauty. Think differently, live differently. When we think differently and live differently, then worship takes on a new dimension. It's no longer about my personal entertainment. It's more about God's pleasure. When I think differently and live differently, uh, worship is no longer one point in time uh, or a personal emotional feeling that I have in the moment or the hour, but worship becomes an everyday lifestyle that, that I am living out moment by moment, piece by piece, day by day. We need to think differently and live differently. Don't be conformed any longer to the mold of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Look at verse 3. Verse 3 tells us uh, <clears throat> that we need to be humble. Worship is humble. Uh, you look at verse 3, and it tells us, For, uh, for I say to you, uh, through the grace that has been given to me, uh, to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly, as God has dealt to each one a measure of faith. You know what he's saying there? He's saying you're not the most important person in the room, and if you think you're the most important person in the room, stop it. That's what that says. Worship uh, cannot be arrogant and be right. Worship doesn't fight for the microphone so that I'm the voice that is heard, but worship submits to others in the body. Worship is humble. And can I just say, if the most important thing that you're thinking about right now is how everything revolves around you, then you haven't even allowed this point in time on the calendar to be worship. If I I'm here and I'm speaking all this stuff and the only thing I'm concerned about is how you think I am neat or cool or fine. Oh, oh he's, a, he's a smart cat daddy who uses cat daddy a lot. If that's what I'm concerned about, then, then or why aren't they listening to me? I can't believe they left early. I can't believe that they fell asleep while I was preaching, which some of y'all do every week and I'm just counting it to be narcolepsy or something like that. If, again, if, all of the, if that's what matters to me, then that's not worship. That's me being prideful. I'm, I, 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 as if what I'm doing is the most important thing here. The, what I'm doing is not the most important thing here. Not even close. I, I'm not the most important person. Neither are you. Worship is humble. If we're going to diminish the blemish, then we need to jettison the pride. Did you get that? It's nice sing-songy. You can hold on to it. If we're going to diminish the blemish, 
We need to jettison the pride so that our worship is only about one thing, service to God through the church for his glory. And that's the third part. It is service, serving God through the church. We must serve God through the church. You look at verses 4 and 5. Verse 4 and 5, Paul says, Okay, for as we have many members in one body, but all the members do not have the same function, so we being many are one body in Christ and individuals member, individually members of one another. So what's he saying there? Well, he's saying that there's a whole bunch of us in this room, and there's even more who are part of First Norfolk. The only church you see, many of you, the only church that you see are the, uh, the 10 or 5 or 15 or 20 in your life group and the people that you gather with in this room. And, and these are the people that you know to be the church. But did you know our church is larger than just your life group and our church is larger than just those who gather in this room? And we have far more. And I'm just talking about the local church called First Norfolk. Uh, right now we have people that, that are, are, are meeting in two, uh, three locations. Uh, we've got another group that, that is meeting in the chapel right now. It's our Hispanic Fellowship. Our body is bigger than just us here. But what Paul is saying is that, that each one of us are planted here on purpose by God for his honor. And that each of us should be serving through this body of believers because we're part of it. Service is a function of being a follower of Christ. And service and worship are always corporate. Even when I have my own little personal prayer time and and have a wonderful time of personal worship with God, that is great, but really that personal worship time with God is only valuable as it is part of the whole. Do you realize that we are a body? That's who we are. That's what Paul is talking about. And some of us are thumbs. Now, on Sunday morning, if I have this thumb, and this thumb is an important part of my uh, Sunday morning because I use my pen, and I write with my, my, my thumb and my forefinger, and I write a lot of stuff, and I write a lot on Sunday morning, and so that's important. And I know about my thumb a lot, and you will see my thumb more because I talk with my hands a little too much, and you see that thumb, and you'll see me do this and that kind of thing. So you've seen my thumb. It's not manicured, but it's not nasty or ugly. It's got a scar over here, uh, but, but that's my thumb, and it's important to me today. Um, but what you don't know, because you don't see it, is what's also important is my toe. My toe, my big toe, is very important to me. In fact, my big toe is just as, if not more important to me, on a Sunday morning. Even though you don't see my toe, you, most of you have probably never seen my big toe. You don't know if it's pretty or nasty, long nail, short nail. You don't know if it's fat, fat crooked, thin. You don't know anything about that big toe. You've never seen it. But as we are, and you don't want to, thank you. And, and we don't want to see that. I don't blame you. But that big toe is important because that big toe keeps me from falling off this platform. It is that big toe. That one right there. If that big toe, if we chop that big toe off, I'd go plummeting down this platform. You chop my thumb off, I could stay up here and keep on talking. You chop my big toe off, we're all in trouble. That big toe's important. You don't see the big toe. Can I tell you what Paul's point is? Paul's point is that whether you're a big toe or a thumb, we're all important to the body of Christ. 
Whether you're seen or heard or not seen and not heard, you are all important to the body of Christ. And the question is, are you serving him today through this body? Your part is important. That is the message. To serve through the church is worship. And we diminish the blemish, and we magnify the beauty of the church when we together determine to serve for the glory of God through the church. So are you serving through the church? Some of us have gathered here, and we're anonymous members, uh, anonymous attenders. And and, And look, I'm glad you're here. Make no mistake, we had a couple, uh, couple join uh, after the 9.30. They said, we're those anonymous attenders you talked about. And I said, I'm excited that you joined. I was excited before you joined. I, I appreciate you being here, and I love it that you're here. But friends, the way you taste the full flavor and, and magnify the beauty of the church is not by just showing up and sitting in a seat, but it's by joining the body in service to the king for the glory of the Father. You need to be a part of this journey and stop being it. it. The church is edified through your service as part of this body. And you are more satisfied through your service as part of this body. And today may be the day that it's time for you to say yes. I'm not going to be anonymous anymore. I'm not just going to sit and soak. I'm going to actually give myself to a lifestyle of worship. By the way, worship is not worship unless you're serving God through the church. It's always incomplete unless you're serving. Look, God did not design us as Christians to be independent, autonomous people. As if we could go it alone. Lone Ranger is how we usually describe it. You know, there are no such thing as Lone Ranger Christians. But I stopped using that because Lone Ranger is kind of a misnomer. Even Lone Ranger needed Tonto and Silver. None of us were created to be uh, autonomously uh, disconnected. But all of us were created to be part of this body. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 18, when Paul's talking about the body of Christ and, and each one of the members, he said, and God has placed each member just as he has desired in the body. You're here on purpose, God's purpose. So let, let's all join together and display the beauty by serving through the church. Well, my prayer is today that you would find your place of service, that you would commit yourself to humility, and that you would think differently and live differently. Why? Because what you do affects this whole body. What I do affects this whole body. And our task is to diminish the blemish, and we need your help. And our task is to magnify and display the beauty, and we need your help. Will you help us today? Because we are members of one another. The very last phrase of verse 5, we are members of one another. You know what that means? It means that you belong to me and I belong to you, and we belong together. That's not just some sing-songy hippie movement. That is reality of who we are as a church. I belong to you. You belong to me, 
and we belong together. And we advance and magnify and display the beauty of the church when we, who belong together, diminish the blemish by worshiping God as a lifestyle of service to God through the church for His glory. So let's work together to bring God glory. Let's worship together. Would you bow your heads, please? This morning, lots of, lots of words, lots of information, but when it's all said and done, my prayer is that you first would be encouraged. That you'd be encouraged by the blessings of God in your life. That, that you uh, be uh, once again captured in a beautiful and amazing and a glorious way by how God has richly blessed you through Christ. By the mercies of God. Would you allow those mercies to sink into the core of your soul as we begin and prepare to respond to, uh, to the word of the Lord today? Would you count the fount of blessings that you have received? In a moment, we're going to sing a song, Come Thou Fount of Every Blessing. Tune my heart to sing thy grace. Streams of mercy never ceasing. Call for songs of loudest praise. Teach me some melodious sonnet sung by flaming tongues above. Praise his name. I'm fixed upon it. Name of God's redeeming love. May God capture your heart with the beauty of his blessing. And as you are captured by his blessing, I pray a second thing, that if in any way you are being conformed to this world rather than transformed, if, 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 it, if, if, if in any way you're, you're not allowing the word of God and the spirit of God to renew your mind, I pray that today you would set down the, the conformity and pick up the transformity, that you would begin to think differently so that you can live differently. Allow God to speak to your heart and, and adjust even now to what God has spoken to you through his word by his spirit. And third, I pray that as you count these blessings and as you, uh, as you are captured by the mercies of God, not only would you think differently, but that you, would, that you would be humble before the Lord. And in your humility, you would see your place of service in this church. And if you haven't joined this church or are not part of this church, that you would commit yourself to become part of this church today. My prayer for us is that we would display the beauty that Jesus has given us as a church as we respond in obedience through worship in these next few moments. So Lord God, in this place, will you capture our hearts? Would you remind us again of the blessings that we have received because of you? May we truly be able to say, Oh, to grace, how great a debtor. Today, will you allow us to respond to you, O oh God, in a heart of worship and a lifestyle of service in worship? Now, draw to yourself those whom you are calling. Inspire us, encourage us, correct us. And may we display your beauty right here, right now, as we worship you. And it's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.